Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Chapter 15 of The Escape of a Princess Pat. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org The Escape of a Princess Pat by George Pearson Chapter 15 Paying the Piper Upon arrival at camp, we were put in cells for eleven days while awaiting our court-martial. During that period we suffered terribly from sheer starvation. The daily rations consisted of a poor soup and a small quantity of black bread. Hungry though I was, there was only one way by which I could eat it. Hold my breath and swallow. I am aware that the Germans consider this food quite palatable, but that may be because they are accustomed to it. It was to us the resort of starving men. The cells were quite dark, four by eight foot wooden boxes. The confinement and short rations on top of our arduous journey, during which we had had nothing but the two biscuits a day, caused us to grow weaker daily. Our friends, however, contrived occasionally to get portions of their food to us. They maintained a sentry of their own, whose duty it was to watch for and report our trips to the latrine. It was unsafe for us to ask for this permission more than once a day with the same guard. As the latter was frequently changed, however, we were enabled to work the scheme to the limit. At the worst, this led us out of our cells for a few minutes, and, if we were lucky, enabled us to get a handful of broken food. Seeing us come out, the prisoner on watch would stroll into the hut and pass the word. Shortly, another would come out to us, and in passing, frequently managed to slip us something. On one long-to-be-remembered occasion, a man of the King's Own Yorkshire Light Infantry managed to square the guard, a pleasant-faced young German. In some manner we could never fathom, so that the latter actually brought to us two spoons and a wash-basin full of boiled barley, which we ate in the latrine. That was the most humane act experienced from German hands during my fifteen-month sojourn in Germany. On the eleventh day we were marched out to what would be the German's orderly room. A Canadian who had picked up a smattering of German acted as interpreter. He did what he could for us, which was little enough. Asked why we had tried to escape, we feared to tell the truth, that we had been forced to it by ill-treatment, so merely stated that we were tired of Germany and wanted to go home. The presiding officer said, 
Well, you fellows have been a lot of trouble to us. I've been told to tell you that if you give us any more, we'll have a little shooting bee. We were sentenced to thirty days' dark cells. That was our court-martial. One lucky thing happened to us here. When they took our map away, it fell in two, as a result of having been folded in our pockets. The officer crumpled one piece up, made a handful of it, and tossed it away, at the same time shoving the other half at me, which I eagerly clutched. That piece showed the portion of Germany adjoining the Holland border. Our thirty days' dark cells were spent in the military prison at Oldenburg. As before, they were four by eight feet in size, but with a high ceiling which gave me room to stand on my hands for exercise. Each of us was confined alone. The walls and the floor of the cells were of stone, the shutters of steel, which were always closed. There was no furniture other than the three boards which served as a mockery of a bed, and which were chained up to the wall every morning. A small shelf, which held the water pitcher, was the only other furnishing. No ray of light was permitted to enter the place. The month was February, but there was no blankets, and the place was unheated. The rations consisted of a half a pound of black bread and a pitcher of water, which were thrust into us every morning, so that except for the guard who unchained the boards at night, we had no visitation in the twenty-four long, long hours. I cannot remember that I brooded much. Rather, I let my mind run out as a tired sleeper might, which was no doubt fortunate for me. My family were greatly in my thoughts. I wondered how my wife was making out, and if she was receiving her separation allowance all right. For I had heard of many cases where the reverse had happened, and whether the boys were well and going to school, I hoped that all was well with them, and they did not worry too much over my lot. As I was not permitted either to send or receive letters during the period of my trial and incarceration, my wife was in fact in great distress of mind about me, as she received no word for many weeks, and imagined the worst. And when at last I could write, it was only to say that although I had been well, I had been unable to write leaving her to draw her own conclusions. The cell door opened promptly at five o'clock every morning. We were allowed ten minutes in which to clean our cell, go to the lavatory, and wash up, all under guard. These were the only occasions during which we had an opportunity of seeing one another or the other prisoners. These rites were all performed in silence, and communication of any description was forbidden, and so keenly watched for as to be impossible. However, Simmons and I got what small comfort we could out of seeing one another frequently, and by this time there had grown up between us such a mutual respect as to make us value this highly. The other prisoners, including Germans, as well as our allies, and there were some civilian German prisoners. The German soldier prisoners were mostly in for committing the various crimes of soldiering, which in the British Army would have put them under the general head of defaulters. That classification, however, had been done away with in the German army. The slightest infringement of discipline was punished with cells. Non-commissioned officers received the same punishment as the men, without, however, losing their rank, as would have been the case in our army. Upon finishing the ten minutes allotted to us, we were forced to re-enter our cells and stand against the wall at the back, so that we could neither see nor communicate with one another until the guard got around a few minutes later and looked in to see that all was as it should be before slamming the door. There was no use in trying to stretch the ration out for two meals. I tried to, and gave it up. 
and after that I ate the bread, filled up on water, and sat down on the cold stone floor for another twenty-four hours of waiting. My thoughts dwelt greatly on food. We were supposed to receive soup every fourth day, but we did not. The prisoners of other nationalities did, and in addition were exercised regularly. At least we could hear the rattle of their spoons against their bowls, and the tramp of their feet. The slow starving was, to my mind, the worst. And after the loss of sleep, if one did drop off, the cold soon caused a miserable awakening. I tried not to think, and did all the gymnastic drill I knew, even to standing on my hands in the darkness of the cell. I knew that, if I gave up, it would be all off, for I could daily feel myself getting wabbly as the confinement and starvation. Added to my already enfeebled and starved condition when I entered, began to tell on me. It must be borne in mind that I had already served eleven days solitary confinement on insufficient food, after several days of jail on ditto, and eight days while escaping, during which I had been continually wet and without food, other than the two biscuits daily, before beginning to serve this sentence. Simmons, of course, was in the same plight. The last day, that of February 22nd, rolled around finally. We were taken out from our cells at nine o'clock and marched out to an unknown destination which we knew only as a stronger punishment camp than the others we had been in. Ahead of us we saw poor Brumley, but were unable to communicate with him, and I do not know whether he saw us or not. That was all we ever learned directly of his fate. His wife, in Toronto, has since informed me that he is still in Germany and has only lately been recaptured after another attempt at escape. At eleven o'clock that night, we arrived at our destination. This was the strong punishment camp at Parniewinkel, in Hanover, on the road over which Napoleon had marched to his doom at Moscow. We wondered if we, too, were going to ours. We had had no food that day, nor did we get any that night, but were shoved into a hut full of Russians, who did not know what to make of us. We were so long of hair and beard, so ragged, so emaciated, and so altogether filthy, that they must have thought us anything but British soldiers. Later we found out that there were, in all, between four and five hundred Russian, eighty French and Belgian, and, including ourselves, eleven British prisoners, of whom Simmons and I were the only Canadians, all shoved into two huts in the middle of the usual barbed wire logger. As Giessen was the best camp, so this one was the worst of all those we were to know. It was not so wet as the swamp at Venmore, but the drinking water was even worse than the brackish, peat-laden water there. The general sanitary arrangements were terrible, and the food was worse than at Giessen, the camp in which that lack had been the worst feature among many bad ones. And on top of it all, the treatment was very bad, much worse than any we had previously known. A soup, made from a handful of pickled fish roe and a few potatoes, was a stock dish and terrible to taste. On one night a week we received a raw herring fresh from the brine barrel, which we were supposed to eat raw and uncleaned, but could not. On one day in seven there was a weak cabbage soup and, of course, a small daily ration of potato and rye bread. Fortunately, our parcels were beginning to arrive by this time, so that, in fact, we fared better than 